down and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. That's right, you are listening once again to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz, and with me tonight is Mike Mott, who's also hovering on the edge of outer. That's How are you right. doing, Mike? And, and, but, I, but I haven't any. But anyway. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we, should, we should come up with some sort of intro like uh, the scurrilous yet sanctimonious outer edge or, you know, uh, oh, I like sort, that. sort of balance both sides of that there. But uh, anyway, how are you? Everything going okay? Hey, hey, I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's Easter Sunday, so I mean we had a had a nice uh, nice day here at the uh, Swartz household. But uh, now I'm glad it's it's over with, and uh, and and it's kind of a quiet time now. Everybody else is asleep except for us. Well, you know, I mean, if you're uh, if you really believe it for what it is, take away the Easter and put in the. Uh, the 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 rising of of a god who became man then uh, it, it's a more contemplative day than uh, than most people might might think so well you know that was contemplation so you know that that was something that uh, uh, we were discussing um, uh, about earlier this week was that whole concept and how that there had been um, other mythologies before that right. that that, that kind of had the, the the same story and and you know we were we were just talking about how you know how interesting that was how, right well how, like Osiris and and yeah. and, and others but the interesting thing about the Christ story is that there are contemporary accounts from historians in the region who recounted what he what that that it did take place at the events took place and even Josephus in history of the Jews and Josephus was no Christian he was a Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Flav- Flavius Josephus said that uh, um, that he did rise from the dead, and it was a miraculous event. That many dead people were seen walking in the streets, and we're not talking about walking dead type stuff. We're talking about people <laughs> who had died, who apparently were seen as if alive by people who knew them, and it was like a, a very tumultuous event. He talked about a lot of the, the very events that surrounded the crucifixion, and said that they all did take place. And he was a very serious historian scholar he had no vested interest in supporting you know the christians so he was oh no not at all yeah yeah (laughs) he was very very much a jewish scholar in fact he was a romanized uh jewish scholar so yeah well wasn't well wasn't he actually like a uh like a a vocal critic of the whole uh uh, christian movement as being a jewish cult uh, and that sort of thing to some extent, but but again, he did say that these events did take place, mm-hmm. and he said that he said that he actually said about Christ. He said that you know many wonderful things were said about him, and apparently they were true. So um, it's interesting because you know you don't hear a lot. You hear people say, "Well, there's no historical evidence." Well, actually, there are historical accounts. Tertullius and and uh, Julius Africanus, and you know a lot of the contemporary historians at the time uh, 
talked about it, and some of them talked about it contemptuously, but they talked about it as actually happening. So, you know, it's very interesting. So, um, yeah, it's, it really it's is. definitely a good day for uh, some serious contemplation. Very much so. Hey, I wanted to ask you: um, Have had you seen in the news, and it it uh, featured predominantly uh, this week? Um, I saw it uh, at first on uh, NewScientist.com magazine uh, about the uh, series of uh, strange radio bursts that uh, have been picked up by uh, radio telescopes that uh, seem to be, you know, at least for what we're understanding now, are uh, unexplainable. Yeah, I saw just a brief mention of it, but I didn't read all the details. I know that, you know, what worries me about that type of thing is that not that they're coming from alien civilizations, but that they could be precursors to what's called a gamma ray burst. Mm. Um, because a gamma ray burst could kill everything that it touches. So, you know, like to like a couple of feet down into the soil. <laughs> well, but so, there... You there know, would have there would have to be a, a celestial object that would be I mean yes. you know, fairly close at least on a galactic scale to us to to do that wouldn't it? Well, a gamma ray burst if it's powerful enough it can travel. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just the luck of the draw. You know that we haven't been hit by one yet. I mean, it's just like anything else. We haven't been devoured by a black hole, uh, CERN <laughs> and the LHC notwithstanding, yet. <laughs> You know, there are all these things out there that could get us. It just hasn't happened yet because we're so minuscule. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Well, I mean, they the the scientists were saying that. I mean, it's 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 hard right now to tell just exactly where they're coming from. Right. Uh, they they could either be out really far away from outside of our galaxy or very very close, uh, like one extreme or the other. Right, and right. And, and, they're, and they're just not no, exactly even, sure yet. Well, even even the things that have been bothering me lately, I don't know if you saw this, but there were some uh, some light bursts in northern Russia that were unexplainable. They lit up the whole sky at night, and nobody knows what it is. It's not a meteor. It's not an explosion of any kind. It's some kind of a brightly radiant event that lights the night sky up as bright as day, sort of with a yellow light. And they mm-hmm. have no idea what's causing this. It's not, you know... Uh, um, the aurora borealis or anything like that and it, it makes me you know remember the recent things that have happened where for instance there was a a dutch airliner that was crossing the north pacific and they saw a, a shaft of light shoot up into the sky and by the time they got to the the site out in the middle of nowhere in the pacific the entire pacific was glowing hot red hot in that I saw area those, i saw those pictures that the pilots took yeah it, it, it defies explanation, but it, they said it looked like something had just burst up from the ground, a beam of light, and and the the ground was was basically the the ocean floor was molten. But then you have this whole deal with the uh, these Siberian holes that keep appearing, and people are like, "Oh, that's methane expanding," which I call BS on that. But uh, you know that the sides of those those pits are are sheer. You know, they're like mm-hmm. as if something carved them out, and there's not enough debris around these these holes to account for any kind of explosion from beneath any kind of rupture if there's hardly any debris at all comparatively speaking so it's very strange and you know i i think back to what uh dr rossler said about the lac you know he said that if they did you know accidentally create many black holes which in turn would create a quasar 
that one of the first things you would see were these beams of light that would come bursting out of the ocean and out of the ground. So it's really, oh yeah. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Uh, Yeah. He said that that would be the first sign. And the fact that these things are happening in these, uh, you know, near the pole regions kind of makes me worry a little bit that something has happened because uh, a quasar spins and emits a burst, but it usually emits, emits them sort of a, 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 a double pole manner, top and bottom, you know, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. And the faster it spins, you know, the more energy it's going to emit and all this kind of stuff. So it's very, uh, it's disturbing. You know, you hear about all these changes in the magnetic field and, Gee, we don't know something's wrong with the with the core of the Earth. That's been recently in the, in the in the news and science news. You know, the core is doing some weird things. We don't understand it. Well, you know, if we weren't playing with the building blocks of of creation right here on our own planet, maybe we wouldn't be having these problems. So I worry more about that than I do about you know alien invasions or gamma ray bursts or stuff like that. So right, well, I mean, and the. Uh the uh, the videos that you're talking about that were taken in Russia of uh, the uh, strange burst of light on the horizon. Boy, I mean, I tell you something. Uh, what a great idea that they have there to have practically every car with a dash cam. Yeah, yeah, because they yeah. capture a lot of cool stuff. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Well, and it's for insurance purposes too. I mean, I I think that uh, maybe people should start doing that here in the United States as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean that absolutely. that would that would that would solve a lot of stuff if they did it that. Would. <laughs> well, you know, when you look at those those bursts of light in Russia in the night sky, I mean, they kind of are similar if they were from a distance, similar to what those pilots saw over the ocean. Oh I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. A burst of unexplainable light. It's got to be coming from somewhere, but they said it's not coming from above. That was one of the things that they they stressed. So that means it's coming from below. Okay, mm-hmm. that's very disturbing. And uh, yeah. So anyway, just my thoughts on the matter on this <laughs> late, late, late Easter Sunday. Uh, well, now uh, I see that uh, that you have received something. Uh, of, uh, I I take it through the mail. Uh, that uh, uh, we've both been waiting for. <laughs> I've been waiting to see the. I've been waiting to see the pictures of it, and you've uh, uh, finally uh, made the, uh, the the big revelation. So uh, why don't you uh, uh, tell everybody? I mean, you know, anybody who has been listening to the show for a while uh, probably can figure out what we're talking about. So uh, right, I mean, right. Why, don't you, why don't you make the grand introduction here? <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, man, that sounds good. I I received uh, the first working. Uh, Model, I guess you could say, of a, of a new sword design. It's a short sword, a survival sword. It's very, it's very powerful, very uh, well designed, if I may say so myself. It's called the. It's it's, it's a it's a post apocalyptic theme, really, so, sort of for survival survivalist, um, you know, or just getting out and and beating stuff up. But it, it's designed basically to take anything. You could beat down a door with this thing. You could you know chop wood, whatever you need to do. It pretty much could do it. But it's called the Mutant Slayer Survival Sword. It's a full tang, which means it's one solid long piece with, and it's got hardwood scales. Full tang blade, uh, got a nice guard, just a really nice design. Um, and, uh, apparently it's already pretty popular. Um, you can see more about it either on my modamorphic.com slash blog. That's modamorphic.com slash blog, where I have a blog post all about it. Or you can see it on my Facebook page or on my uh, Metamorphic Musings Facebook page. So, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And it's the first of several that are coming. Uh, we have some bowies or buoys in process. And we have uh, another sword coming. 
and we have another really cool thing that actually my son and I uh, put together together, which is going to be really cool. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to all these things uh, becoming reality and and being in people's hands. And you're happy with the uh, uh, with the work that? uh, Oh my God, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah good, it's, uh, good quality and all that. Oh yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, they're hand forged, handcrafted, uh, just top notch. I mean, this thing is one third inch wide at the spine. Wow. Yeah, it, it, but you know, it's only twenty one inches long, twenty two inches long, something like that. The blade that is, um, and it's got a nice long handle, so you can do it one handed or two handed, you know, as you as you need. But it's, it comes with a great rig, which you know this is the, the scabbard which you wear on your back, and and the straps that hold it on, and everything. I mean, it's one of the best rigs I've ever seen. Basically, if you were to buy this item in the United States, made here, the rig alone would cost you as much as the sword and rig costs from these guys. And these guys mm-hmm. have been making swords, knives for uh, you know thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred years. They've been making for a long time, so. Yeah, they know what they're doing, and it's it's really cool. Made out of something called fifty one sixty spring steel, so it's a very 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 cool piece. Okay, and uh, for people who are uh, wanting to see uh, more of your stuff uh, that, that that you've got out there, where can they go? Well, they can go to my blog, which is uh, matemorphic dot com slash blog, or they can go to matemorphic dot com m o t t i m o r p h i c M-O-T-T-I-M-O-R-P-H-I-C dot com. And that's without the blog on the end of it there. But uh, they can find links to my stuff there, including my artwork, posters, prints, all that kind of stuff. And if they go to my poster and print store, um, if they turn the content filter from safe to off, they can see stuff that's got, like, you know, nudity and things like that in it. Because uh, apparently that site has some sort of uh, phobia about that sort of thing. Even the artists have been putting, you know, Things like that in art for a very long time, but uh, yeah, shocking. And, uh, huh? <laughs> they, don't want, they don't want some kids stumbling across it saying, "What's that?" Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> As if a kid doesn't know, you know, the kid yeah. doesn't look at himself in the bathtub or or whatever, but or, or or herself, you know. So, you know, it is what it is. That's the world we live in. But yeah, modamorphic dot com <laughs> has all kinds of links at modamorphic dot com slash blog, and on Facebook, modamorphic musings. And uh, that's it. They find all kinds of stuff there. Books, writing, art, uh, edge weapon designs, lots of different stuff. So, All right. Fantastic. Well, oh, and, and before we move further, you have a you have a new book coming out, don't you? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, well, it's it's already come out. It's uh, It's been out for uh, about a week now, actually. And that's, and that's what uh, tonight's show is all about. We're going to our guests tonight are uh, uh, Tim Beckley. And uh, Mark Brinkerhoff. Now, uh, Tim, myself, Sean Castile, and uh, Scott Corrales actually uh, contributed chapter as well uh, to this book. And it's called uh, UFO Repeaters, Seeing is Believing, the Camera Doesn't Lie. And yeah. uh, the, the the book deals with uh, uh, people throughout uh, history. Well, especially, you know, like the modern UFO era, who um, who have experienced uh, repeat UFO uh, uh, encounters. And uh, Mark, uh, we've had him on our show before. I mean, he's he's a prime example of somebody who, had, you know, just kind of got uh, drawn into this for whatever reason at a very young age. Right. And uh, so, uh, and then you know, uh, Tim Beckley. I mean, he's you know, he's had a lot of history uh, uh, and has known a lot of these experiencers personally. 
So, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, it should be an interesting show tonight because, I mean, you know, a lot of the people that, uh, that we're going to talk about and a lot of these situations, I mean, they're, they're naturally, there's been controversy, um, you know, around them. Be, uh, kind of the general consensus is that people don't have repeat UFO experiences. And if they are, they're lying about it. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, and I think that, you know, it'll be interesting for us to, to, to get into that. Yeah, I'd definitely like to see a copy of that. That sounds sounds great. It's got some good photographic evidence in it too, which is good. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have we'll have to make sure you get a copy. Sounds good, buddy. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. Well, why don't we go to our break? And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk with uh, Tim Beckley and Mark Brinkerhoff. You're listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology preventative maintenance and networking support hardware and custom built computers let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget call key information solutions now 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. Talkstream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. 
Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm William Michael Mott. Mike to my friends and less pleasant expletives to my enemies. I'm here with Tim Schwartz and our very special guest who hasn't been on in a while, Tim Beckley and Mark Brinkerhoff. How are you guys doing? Well, I'm back to haunt you. <laughs> once, I, once I get my Mothman light wings onto a program, I don't easily let go. <laughs> and, you know, I was hoping that somebody had let Mothman go. I've been saying, open the cage and just let it go. Let it go. There you go. Well, he was flying high the other night. There was a uh, John Keel uh, retrospect. I wouldn't call it a special, really, but it's, it's uh, Monsters in America on yeah. some kind of show. Which is part of the Discovery, I think, uh, uh, network. Uh, I just wish they had a little bit better uh, effects and, and, you know, organization. On the on the oh. program, uh, but you know it was what it is, and it's good to see yeah. John and, and his uh, his best buddy uh, Ratso was there, uh, Larry Sloman, and uh, uh, that's always good to see him. I haven't talked to Larry in a while, so uh, uh, there you go. And uh, well, you know, but we're not here to talk about. Yeah. I liked it because, unlike that dumb movie that they made, mm-hmm. it actually presented a pretty accurate idea of what Kill dealt with. And what yes. his opinions were, and you know, it, yes, not a bunch of sensational junk, but but really, Kill's perspective was in a lot of the show. And that's the first time I could think of seeing something like that. Well, actually, there there are a lot. If you go to YouTube and, yep. and type in John's name, there are there are quite a few lectures uh, that he's given that are you know still there, uh, preserved for all of uh, time. Apparently, if you're on YouTube, right. uh, to me, YouTube is the the time machine, and maybe as close as we get, because everything is there that that just about has ever happened. Right, right. Pretty, pretty amazing. But we're it not is. here to talk about uh, a Mothman tonight. He'll have to go back into his cage for at least uh, <laughs> a moment. We'll, we'll let we'll let our friend we'll let Andy, our friend, take care of him and comb him and clean him up. And you know, that's right. That's right. Get it, get him there. But we're here to talk about, among other things, 
uh, a sensational contactee story, kind of like the old kind of contactees, which I, which is the ones that I like instead of people uh, being, you know, dragged on board to screaming and probed and uh, all their uh, orifices and, and so forth. And uh, that would be uh, Mark Brinkerhoff. And uh, we're going to be speaking with him, I understand. And, and, and talking about uh, the new book that Tim Schwartz and I uh, just uh, completed along with uh, Sean Castile and Scott Corrales, which would be UFO Repeaters, The Camera Doesn't Lie, which is a sensationalistic book with well over 100 UFO photographs uh, that have, as far as I know, have never been presented in mass media, you know, form. Right. And, uh, I'm, I'm very happy about the book. And, you know, I was on coast to coast the other night with Mark and, and we generated a few sales. And uh, I'm happy with the way I priced the book very low on Kindle because I do want as many people to read it as possible. And, you know, you got a lot of competition when you go to Amazon and you type in UFOs and you come up with 15,000 titles. I mean, how do you compete against that? There are more UFO books published than there are people in the field, I think, pretty much. You know what I mean? Serious. Yeah. And, of course, people in the field would never condescend to buy anybody else's books. So you got to reach out a little bit more. So there you go. <laughs> well, before, uh, Tim, before we uh, actually get into uh, UFO repeaters, I just uh, wanted to say that uh, you are now the host of uh, Unraveling the Secrets on the PSN Radio Network. And uh, how's that been going for you so far? You know, uh, uh, this weekend, we have uh, done our uh, ninth uh, program. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm chucking away at it. I'm having a good time um, uh, on, on the show. Uh, my uh, uh, co-host is uh, Carla Anderson, who is uh, runs a shop over in Jersey City called Balance, Balance which is a, a, a combination hair salon. You can go in and get your hair uh, colored or trimmed or styled. And you can also look at UFO paintings on the wall. And it's uh, the, the place is shaped like a um, uh, like a mothership, and it's uh, it's pretty it's a cool place if you like to hang out in beauty salons, you know, uh, hairdressing parlors. Uh, and I like to because you meet some nice people there. <laughs> and uh, Carla's got a great staff, and uh, I'm uh, pleased to be uh, associated with her. And we've been longtime uh, associates, and of course she's worked with me on some of our Mister Creepo uh, films, which are. Uh, still out there. In fact, uh, Tim, I don't think I told you this, but I think we're going to uh, try to add them to uh, YouTube uh, and uh, as long as they don't uh, don't worry about a little nudity, I don't know what their policy is on that, but uh, uh, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, go forward with it and present it to a whole new uh, audience. Because uh, the DVD, DVD trade seems to be saturated uh, these days. Uh, the market is shrinking. I mean, DVD is now Blu-ray, of course. And the market is shrinking because of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and, and all of that. So uh, we figure we will turn to our many thousands of friends uh, on YouTube and, and see if they will enjoy the Mr. Creepo uh, videos uh, just as well as the public has in the past. Be sure and let us know so we can spread the word when that oh, happens. We'll, we'll spread everything. Yes, we'll spread the word. No problem uh, with that at all. Okay. 
<laughs> well, Tim, let's okay. Let's go ahead then and get into uh, uh, the book UFO Repeaters. I mean, what uh, uh, what gave you the idea to begin with? To uh, well, actually, uh, to do a book you know, about that. Okay, you know what actually gave me the idea? I, I believe it's our, our guest this evening, uh, Mark Winkerfoff, because mm-hmm. I, I've known Mark now for oh, well over twenty-five. I think we said thirty years. Uh, and the other night on coast, uh, and. Uh, the reason I have always been so intrigued with Mark's uh, experiences—it's not just the uh, the story uh, or his lifetime story, actually, that he tells, because it is an ongoing uh, contact experience—is the fact that he has uh, evidence uh, in the form of uh, photographs that he has taken since what year? Uh, Mark, what was the first the year that you took those pictures in upstate New York? After I met Stella Lansing at one of your your um, meetings. Oh, that I, I didn't. Okay. Well, now, Tim, this yeah. opens up a whole new area there. I, I, I hadn't recalled that. that the, 1977. Uh, yes. Yeah, 19. Yeah. But we, you and I met in 76 at one of your your places, but um, it was 1977 when I got a, got hold of the camera after I asked uh-huh. the and that, and that was that was basically because of Stella Lansing having taken these uh, pictures with her uh, 16 millimeter camera. Yeah, yeah. I, I said to the crew, I went up to the fields and I said, "Hey, um, the other ones who got me into your your uh, lectures that day with uh, Stella yes. Betty Hill, who I met, I knew Betty Hill um, back in '76. Uh, so she used to invite me up to her place for a week. <laughs> but it was after that when I, I saw what Stella did." And we're all intuitives, so I made friends with Stella there. And yeah. then I um, went to those fields at night that night. And I said, well, you guys got me down here to, to meet these people. What about mm-hmm. Stella? What she gets um, is interdimensional, right? And they said, of course, yes, yeah, a lot of it is. And so I said, um, well, what if I get a camera? <laughs> Can I do that with you guys? Would you show up on my film? It would be fun, right? And they said, get a camera. And that was it. Well, I, you know, Tim... Uh, Tim, actually, in the book, UFO Repeaters, wrote about Stella uh, Lansing. But why don't you give us a little background on her? I, I kind of, I guess, if the word is discovered, uh, uh, someone I, I had discovered, Stella. Uh, Jim Mosley used to have uh, UFO meetings uh, monthly, uh, maybe even weekly at some point in, in Midtown Manhattan in one of the hotels around Times Square. And, you know, you know, we're talking about a hundred people, maybe if the uh, guest was on, the speaker was on the Long John show the night before. Uh, it, it wasn't impossible to get three or four hundred uh, people to cram one of these uh, uh, banquet uh, uh, halls and, and pay as much as a, uh, as a dollar. <laughs> Fifty cents, I think. I, I remember, the, I think the first meeting I went to see was Ivan Sanderson. In one room in Gray Barker and the other, and it was 50 cents. Can you imagine that? that oh, my gosh. The, with what they what they charge today to rent a uh, a room, you know, especially in Times Square, you'd have to charge like fifty dollars or something. You know, that's the the rate of inflation. Anyway, uh, kind of like Jim Mosley's assistant, you know, and he was busy putting out chairs and giving interviews and you know introducing the speaker. And and this woman came up to me. Uh, her name was Stella Lansing, and she lived in uh, New England. And she started telling me that she was had the capability of going out. And taking take it, the photographs of the sky, and most of the times she didn't really see anything that was there. But when she developed the the footage, which was I think eight millimeter, later sixteen millimeter, that was before the advent of video, of course, all these weird things would appear on the film. So Tim, you t- you wrote this up in the book. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? 
her experiences? Yeah, she was a uh, she was from Palmer, Massachusetts, and uh, uh, just uh, was a just kind of like a normal housewife. Uh, I, I guess that she was uh, a, uh, trained as a nurse, uh, but she actually, I mean, she she held a series of uh, of, of jobs, oh, and yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, have to have to watch yourself, Tim. I could hear myself echoing out of uh, your computer there, <laughs> but. Uh, um, the one thing about Stella, uh, and boy, I tell you, I, I really wish that I could have uh, uncovered more information about her early years. Uh, she gave some indication that um, before, really, she she revealed what she was able to do, that she had had uh, numerous unusual, almost paranormal experiences, I, I guess throughout her life, from, from what I've been able to discern. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody seems to have uh, um, documented anything like that. She certainly never did. And, uh, you know, some of the people who, who talked to her when she was alive, and she passed away not too long ago, actually, just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the... Like uh, Bert, Dr. Berthold Schwartz, uh, Brad Steiger, uh, you know, people like that, uh, you know, uh, met with her and, and interviewed her, but nobody really recorded uh, uh, what her early, you know, like her childhood and things like that. You know, well, I, I there is, now if you go to YouTube, and you know, I'm I'm confused now. I started my channel was Mr. UFO's uh, Secret Files, but now mm-hmm. it seems that you get a lot more. If you just type in my name, Tim Beckley, so I don't know which is on there. Maybe both. It's worth the search. We've actually put up uh, an eight or nine minute uh, video interview uh, about uh, Stella Lansing with a lot of her uh, uh, material, photographs and things. Of course, we want you to buy the book, but uh, this is an episode of, I believe it's Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, I've seen that episode, yeah. Yes, it's certainly well uh, worth uh, watching. Yes, you know. I wish I had taken notes, and I certainly probably have them here somewhere, but I've got 40 file drawers filled with uh, information. Uh, I think, you know, she was kind of uh, in the same area as Betty Hill, so it might have been that after Betty Hill's uh, experience, you know, her abduction uh, experience with her husband uh, Barney, it could have been that uh, since Stella lived kind of in the same area, that she went out there hoping to take uh, pictures, uh, you know, of UFOs and things along that line, and she did get some of UFOs, but she realized that she had the uncanny uncanny ability of picking up strange faces, strange voices, uh, clocks in the sky, upside down planes. I mean, just incredible images that should have not uh, been there. Uh, right. it was, you know, and uh, of course, the skeptic said, "Well, she had a leak in her camera." Well, the thing is, Estella, you know, didn't use the same camera uh, all the time. And no matter whether she was taking stills or, yeah, eight, eight, I know a little bit about film. Of course, I shot in 35 uh, uh, millimeter, being the uh, movie producer that I'm not, I, that I am. That uh, it's it's really hard to fake something, as far as I know, in, in eight or sixteen uh, millimeter. I mean, it looks you get a shaky. It almost looks like Billy Meyer. I mean, that's how bad it is, to be honest. Uh, uh, with you, you know, uh, it, it's it's hard to fake, and, and certainly anybody looking at the film could tell almost immediately. And this is even weirder, uh, Tim. If you remember, some of the images overlapped over the frames, so and that's theoretically, I think, impo- impossible to do. I mean, she even get it 
kind of like outside of the image box. It's, the whole thing is is weird, but it's not um, without precedent. Uh, remember, uh, there was a Ted Sirius uh, before uh, Stella, of course, who had this little uh, object, I think he called it a gizmo, that he would put up uh, to his uh, uh, camera lens and take the photos and he'd get distant shots of the pyramid and, and things along that line. And we began to realize, or at least I did, that a lot of this is psychic or paranormal in, in nature. Uh, is it the individual? Is, is it the, uh, the UFO beings that are putting the images on the, on the film? Uh, or is it the individual that's taking the photographs, putting them there? Or is it the location? You know, what they say, location, location, location. Well, that may have a part to do with it because a lot of this repeated UFO activity and the ability to photograph these mysterious uh, objects uh, in the sky seem to have, uh, happen in the hotbed or window uh, areas. So maybe it's a combination of all three of them. You've got to have the boys on the top side got to have some psychic uh, ability and you got to be in a spot where they're able to kind of you know uh, through and talk to you well i do think that uh the individual has a lot to do with it you know uh because she uh, she would go to other locations and was able to achieve the same yes. uh, results. But, but as you said, though, I mean, she would achieve these uh, results using different cameras. So, I mean, you know, a lot of the critics said that, uh, yeah, the, you know, there, there was a light leak in her camera or there was a defect that caused the sprockets that actually would pull the eight millimeter, uh, of film across, uh, the shutter. That would create that that unusual clockwork uh, pattern that would uh, appear every now and then, but the same patterns would appear with uh, with different cameras. So you know, uh, unless she was just really really good at uh, uh, at at doctoring this film, which I mean I don't know if anybody remembers, but you know, eight millimeter film was tiny, 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 yeah. tiny. And extreme, I mean, you know, you'd have to have uh, a magnifying glass and, and just, you know, all kinds of uh, equipment to, to even attempt to do something like this. Oh, but oh, I know also, too, don't, don't forget that there were uh, incidents where people took photographs of her and weird images would appear over her face. And, and it was like, uh, what was it, gold dripping down from her ears and so, uh, side of her face and everything. It's just like the whole case is just unexplainable in, in contemporary uh, uh, terms. Okay, so this is what uh, Mar Mark's uh, ability to take pictures to go out and, and point the camera guy apparently under the control of the beings that he's uh, in touch with for many, many years uh, and Stella Lansing's uh, uh, ability to take uh, uh, interdimensional uh, photos. Combining the two of them together, I said, well, let's see if there are other people out there who have the same uh, remarkable ability. So I started doing a little research, or we both did, uh, Tim, and mm -hmm. came up uh, in the book with about, um, I think, 12 or 14 other individuals who can go out, apparently on the command. Uh, sometimes it's a voice in their head. Sometimes it's a mental image. Sometimes it's just a, a, a feeling. Go out with their camera and uh, record... Uh, UFOs and uh, some of the uh, the photographs in the book. Well, there's over a hundred pictures that have never been published before. Some of the some of the uh, 
material is just absolutely incredible. Well, we have a uh, fellow by the name of uh, Paul Villa, who is uh, passed away quite a number of years ago now. But he has probably the most stunning color photographs of objects hovering over his uh, trailer, over his uh, work vehicle, his truck, uh, over uh, just the the ground, you know, the, the ground. And some of them have tripod landing gear. And you see them coming down, and then you see them uh, actually landing or resting on the, uh, the, uh, the tripod, you know, the landing gear. And the thing that I find most remarkable about the photographs, all right, you can say they're models or, or something, but if well, you he, like the he, type said, of he guy, said that they were small craft. Indeed, some of them were. But the thing that I found unusual, and this has happened on, on a number of occasions, if you look very carefully at the, uh, the photographs, you will see a series of, the best way I could describe it, as, as like ball bearings or... or some sort of metallic object that seems to be hovering in the sky uh, along with the uh, the UFO, you know, the much larger uh, craft. And I've got photographs from other individuals where these objects, glistening silver-shaped balls, have also appeared alongside the, uh, the uh, UFO. Now, there's a fellow uh, who I knew for many years uh, up in uh, New England. He's since deceased as well, by the name of Joe Ferrier. He was the host of a uh, daily radio show on uh, station WOON in the town of Woodstocket, Rhode Island. Now, he happens to be on the same station that our buddy Paul Eno does a program every uh, Monday uh, at drive time, which is behind, uh, behind the paranormal. And, uh, in fact, um, they worked together for many, many years, but... Joe never really liked to talk about his UFO experiences. I mean, it wasn't a UFO show. It wasn't a paranormal show. He was just a daily host. Anyway, when I was a kid, and I guess uh, uh, Joe was a, a couple of years older than I was, we exchanged zines, UFO zines. Uh, I published, I was publishing the Interplanetary News Service Report, and we had as many subscribers as APRO had members. Now, APRO was the Aerial Phenomenal Research Organization. And uh, Joe Ferrier had a, a partner by the name of Armin Laprade, and together they put out a, a very nicely done, it wasn't slick or anything, there was no glossy paper, we all stapled the stuff and printed it on mimeograph machines, but it was, uh, you know, what was happening during that period, there was no quick copy or kinkos or anything like that. His was the Controversial Phenomena uh, magazine. Later on, he put out a, a much glossier publication called Pro, in which he published a lot of these UFO uh, photos. Anyway, now, Joe apparently had, uh, uh, th this all started for him when he was about four years old. He was playing in the playground, and he had his first sighting of something that he said uh, he still remembered to the day he passed away that looked like a rocket ship right out of an early Flash Gordon uh, movie. And he could see people inside, and they seemed to be looking at him. Uh, at the age of seven, he had another experience. When he was a teenager, he was out hitchhiking, and he got into a car. And uh, there was a nicely dressed a man and a woman, middle-aged, in the car. Very attractive. And uh, they asked him where he was going, and he gave his destination. And they said, well, they let him off pretty much uh, uh, close to where he needed to go. And so he told him to sit in the back of the car, obviously. He got in the back of the car, 
and he noticed that there was a series of small black boxes. Now, today, if we saw or heard something like that, we'd call, uh, you know, uh, 911 or something, uh, think it was, a, you know, somebody planning a terrorist attack, but this certainly wasn't. And he asked them out of curiosity, what were these boxes? And they said, well, we really can't say too much about them, except that we are traveling around the country and we are putting them, leaving them with certain individuals, and they're here to help the uh, the consciousness of the planet, or so, you know, help the planet out, or something. I guess. Um, so he he got to his destination. He thanked them for the ride. He said they were very very friendly, uh, feel a uh, very very friendly couple. He could feel uh, a sincerity and a warmth about them, which many of these UFO repeaters, you know, describe their contacts as, as being as very loving, uh, you know, caring uh, individuals. Well, years later, he made friends with a fellow by the name of August C. Roberts. Now, Augie Roberts had had a UFO sighting oh, back around 1948 or 49. He worked for the... Um, uh, the Skywatchers Corps or something like that. You know, they were looking for enemy planes and Russians and things like that. And he took a photograph of something uh, you know, unusual in the sky. And and so he started collecting UFO photographs. He didn't go out and take repeated pictures, but he became a ufologist and a friend of ours. And uh, one day he had gone up to Rhode Island and he took a, some photographs, a scrapbook of photographs to show Joe because Joe had taken some pretty remarkable photographs, which are reproduced in our book, uh, cigar-shaped ships, a disc-shaped uh, craft. Apparently, when he was uh, hosting this radio show, there had been a UFO flap in Cumberland, uh, Rhode Island, and people were calling up and saying that they were seeing this cigar in the sky for three or four days in a row. So he decided he was going to go out with his camera and not tell anybody. And he managed to uh, capture oh, maybe about a half a dozen uh, in really incredible uh, the photos of the cigar, and you know I've seen video of it, uh, which is not posted anywhere. I, he he showed me stuff that I've never seen published anywhere else, and it was absolutely, uh, you know, in, incredible uh, footage. And some of it is in the uh, in the book. Uh, anyway, Augie Roberts uh, had the scrapbook, and they were going through the photographs, and and Joe said, "Stop, stop!" On one of the pages was a photograph of uh, a group of people that had been taken at Howard Menger's. Now, Howard Menger was a local contactee from the East Coast who had made, become very popular by being on the Long John Neville show. And there was a series of photographs of these people. They looked like they were right out of soap opera, you know, very chiseled features and uh, uh, very uh, good looking. And um, uh, Joe said, well, I don't understand it. These are the people who picked me up. The, the man and the woman in this photograph are two of the people that picked me up. Uh, and, you know, and drove me and had the black boxes in the back of the car. And Augie Roberts said, well, this is supposed to be Val Thor and, and a space woman uh, from another planet who Frank Stranger says that he was in contact with inside the Pentagon. So I just seemed like additional confirmation. Anyway, it's a whole weird, just, the whole thing is weird. There, there's no explanation for why the ability, some people have the ability to take these these pictures and the list actually is a little longer than I would have uh, thought. Uh, we might even have enough material for a, a, a second volume, uh, you know, sometime in the future. Well, now you mentioned uh, Howard Menger. Um, that 
there's there's a case that has always fascinated me, and uh, you knew Howard though, didn't you? Well, I did. Yes. Uh, you know, when I was a wee lad, I would uh, stay up late at night. In fact, this has totally thrown me off for years. I have completely become a night owl. If I go to bed before five o'clock in the morning, it's early. Sleep all day, dance all night, whatever the kiss song is that they do, right? <laughs> but uh, I would I would be at home under the the covers. I didn't want my mother to know that I was listening to the radio at two a.m. Uh, we had a little transistor radio. Of course, they were pretty big in those days, certainly compared to what we would have today. You know? and, and I would under the covers, I would listen to the Long John Neville Party Line. Long John was uh, broadcast over WOR in New York, which had a wide range. I mean, they could hear it. There have been some cases of them actually hearing it as far away as Alaska and uh, Hawaii on, on the, you know, according to the atmospheric conditions. And he would have on some of the most incredible people. Uh, these were the early UFO contactees, people like George Adamski, George Van Tassel, uh, George King, uh, Howard Menger, uh, these individuals claimed that they had actually made contact with beings from other planets. Of course, we all know the story of George Damsky, uh, who, and most people don't realize this, but his original contact with Orthon in the desert was actually arranged through a Ouija board. Now, for years, Adamski would say, oh, this is all real, this is all physical, you know, there's nothing psychic about it, but that is just really not the case. One of his companions was a young gentleman, a self-made uh, archaeologist by the name of uh, George Hunt Williamson. And George Hunt Williamson channeled, and uh, they did the Ouija board. And uh, one day uh, they got a message telling the group uh, where to go to have a physical encounter. So they followed the instructions of the Ouija board, went out into the desert, and lo and behold, uh, Adamski, you know, walked off into the distance and claimed he had a face-to-face uh, meeting with this tall, rather regal-looking uh, extraterrestrial, uh, which he came to identify as uh, Orthon from the planet Venus. Well, as we probably realize, there isn't anybody on the planet Venus, uh, you know, certainly not in physical uh, flesh and blood uh, form, but uh, Adamski, of course, had his, his followers, probably more so than anybody else. Now, the equivalent to uh, George Adamski on the East Coast was Howard Menger. In fact, Howard probably would have been one of the few contactees uh, here. There, there were others, but they didn't really get the, the publicity that uh, Howard uh, got, and there is ample reason uh, for that. Uh, Howard claims that, uh, much like Mark, that when he was a young, young man, he had contact with these craft and the occupants inside. He, w- uh, he was born in Brooklyn, but he moved. his parents moved the family to the rural community of Highbridge, New Jersey. And out behind the house, it was a, like a farming uh, area, but just acres and acres of, of rolling hills and beautiful grass and greenery. And uh, one day, uh, Howard was out with his brother, and they saw this disc in the sky and it, they, as they were running across the field, and the object planted itself just in front of, uh, of Howard. He seemed more interested in Howard than in his brother. Anyway, uh, and subsequently, Howard had contact there with a beautiful space woman who said that throughout his life, 
he would be meeting these people from other places because they could feel that he had faithful spirituality and and could get the message out to the uh, to the public, which indeed he he did. But the UFOs for a, a long period of time were actually landing uh, in the apple orchard uh, behind his uh, his home, and he was taking photographs of the craft as well as eight millimeter f- uh, film footage, and um, uh, not only of the craft but of the occupants themselves. And some of these photographs are published in our book UFO Repeaters. Now. People ask me, well, how do you decide what to put in the, uh, you know, a uh, uh, in the book as far as uh, the reliability of the witness? Well, I decided to skip over somebody like Billy Meyer because I didn't think that there's a, enough verification. To be honest uh, with you, everything points to the, uh, you know, to uh, uh, hoax as far as I'm concerned. He's got a cult, you know. He gets people to come and, and live with him, and you know, he thinks that only he. Has, uh, the, contacted Billy, which to me is just a total nonsense. You know, to me, he has nothing to offer. So I passed him by. But in the case of Howard Menger, we have other people who verify uh, his experiences by seeing these things uh, themselves. Uh, in fact, I remember uh, that I got a telephone call one, one day from a, a gentleman who said he was a retired engineer. And he had heard Howard on the Long John uh, show. Uh, Howard had uh, welcome guests to come, uh, welcome people to come out to his uh, property. You know, they even had uh, a couple of UFO conventions uh, out there. And uh, anyway, this this fellow didn't know Howard. He didn't, uh, you know, call in advance to say he was coming. And it was about midnight or one o'clock in the morning when he got out to the uh, apple orchard. I guess you could drive around and back, and nobody would even notice you. It was so vast uh, back there, back of Howard's uh, home. And he got out and he said it was a beautiful night, lots of stars. You know, there was no uh, city lights uh, in those in those days. It's still pretty much a rural uh, community. But in those days, it was very, very rural. No street lights, no home, uh, house lights or anything. And so he, he kind of rested on the hood of the car and uh, just looking at the sky. The next thing he know, notices is that the sun is coming up. There was a period of maybe four hours. Well, he doesn't remember what happened. He said he wasn't asleep, but something peculiar happened to him during that period. He went home. He decided to move out of his house. He bought himself a trailer, and he started putting together, I don't know, I guess the best way you could describe it is is inventions and gadgets. He had all this weird stuff all over the trailer. Pretty much reminds me of um, Richard Dreyfus, you know, in Close Encounters. Where he starts uh, uh, building the the devil's uh, tower in his in his kitchen, uh, I, and there were other people that had the sightings there and had contact experiences, and people who even saw these uh, men and women supposedly from other planets in other part in other locations. I mean, there was one fellow who described to me that he actually saw them walking down the street of New York, so a long way from where Howard lived. You know, he was about maybe. Uh, 40 miles out of the city. So I always gave uh, Howard uh, the benefit of the doubt. Plus, uh, he and his wife, uh, Connie, were very charming. On several occasions, they showed up uh, at our UFO uh, conference in San Diego and in Phoenix. I remember one time, uh, fellas, where he was a couple of days late in getting there because he had built this craft. He he was big into, like, anti-gravity and magnetism, and he was always working on 
on, on some spaceship himself, you know, he had this prototype and he had rented a little trailer to, uh, to haul it along. And I guess, uh, he had some problems with the trailer and, and what have you and showed up at the conference for uh, a couple of days late, but he probably spoke for a half a day about all his experiences, which was quite, quite a, a trip for him to do. I mean, he had a, a long drive from Florida where he had moved, but also too, he had refused to talk about his experiences for quite some while. Uh, he had some problem with the FBI. He claimed there was some men black that were coming to, uh, to, you know, stop him or prevent him from uh, telling about his uh, experiences. And then later on, he even went to the extremists saying that maybe the government had put him up uh, to this. And he had published a book called uh, From Outer Space to You. And just when it came out, uh, he, he decided to talk. I mean, he just kind of changed his story. And, of course, the publisher, Gray Barker, was kind of upset about that because he'd spent a lot of money and a lot of time promoting the book. And Howard kind of didn't follow through. Well, now, um, out of all the cases and uh, uh, that 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 you have, you know, in, in this book here, and uh, barring, of course, the ones that we've just talked about, which uh, which which one would you think has convinced you the most that uh, that it's true that you know that that, that this person is up front? And... Well, that's kind of that's kind of hard to say. I I'm interested in the uh, case. Uh, of the uh, this UFO that has been seen several times over the coastline of Turkey. Now, the thing that intrigues me about this is that it is a, a new case, and the uh, individual who is responsible for uh, taking the uh, video footage is still alive and very much uh, with us. A lot of the other people that are in the book are since uh, deceased, so we can't get any additional information uh, out of them. Of course, Mark is uh, well and, and alive. Going to be talking to us in a few minutes, but I would say the Turkish uh, case that the uh, doctor, uh, the late doctor Roger Lear uh, verifies because he was there on one occasion. They see this giant uh, craft coming in over the ocean, and uh, they have a some really uh, uh, zoom zoom lens. I mean, the, you know, eight hundred uh, magnification or something like that, and they take the video uh, footage, and when they developed it, and this is in the book. And it's also on the uh, internet. You can find it. You can just uh, type in uh, Turkish UFO case or something on Google uh, of what seems to be grays, gray aliens operating inside what may be a, a, a cockpit. So you know, UFO photos uh, of, of the uh, of aliens or the occupants are are somewhat rare, of course. I mean, uh, more so than UFO pictures themselves. But there are uh, several of. Uh, Photographs that may be legitimate, and and Mark is is had the opportunity to take some photographs. Uh, there, there's one that's always impressed me of what I call the shadow being, which seems to be a silhouette of a um, uh, of some sort of uh, entity. And also Ellen Crystal up in the pine bush, if you remember the case, Tim, uh, she had uh, these uh, creatures, uh, more creatures than humanoid-looking beings. I think she described it. That would actually come out, partially come out of the uh, uh, open port of the of the craft, and she she was a, kind of a strange individual. She was another one that could go out with her camera and see things that nobody else could see. I, I remember one time we followed Ellen Crystal and uh, Harry Levelson, who was the UFO editor for uh, Omni uh, Magazine, which is Bob Guccione's uh, 
kind of science fiction, space type of publication. It lasted for a few years, very glossy, uh, very expensive to put out. And I guess it didn't, they didn't get the advertising they had hoped for, and also it did have been bold. Uh, but Pine Bush was this area in upstate New York, not far, I think, from where Mark took some of his pictures and had some of his experiences, uh, where she would go out. These things would come in. Uh, one spot was in a, a field uh, just behind the Jewish uh, cemetery. Uh, and there were a lot of people also who, who had lived up there for years, you know, even raises children up in the Pine Book uh, area who had, had seen these things. But they didn't think of them as spacecraft like uh, Ellen Crystal did. They thought that they were the spirits. Spirits. Uh, there had been some uh, localized Indian wars and things up there. They thought that they were the spirits of uh, Native Americans who lived there. And other people saw them as ghostly uh, phenomena. And they thought it was all kind of very strange and bizarre that people would think that they were extraterrestrial because the sightings went back, uh, you know, uh, well over a 100 uh, years. And today in Pine Bush, uh, like in a few other cities, they now have an annual UFO fest and a UFO parade. It's certainly not on the level of, of Roswell or uh, Menville, uh, Oregon, but uh, it's the East Coast version. And and they they you know they dress their, uh, their pets up with tinfoil hats and uh, people paint themselves green and uh, they parade around the street and they you can buy a UFO hamburger and stuff in town and uh, I understand you can't loiter now it's a crime to loiter for the purpose of seeing a UFO they'll give you a ticket if you're caught by uh, <laughs> watching <laughs> talk about all kind it's all right to kill somebody or run somebody over in a hit and run, but no UFO sighting, no UFO, no UFO skywatch, no, no, no. Well, gentlemen, um, I think it's uh, time for us to go to our break now. Uh, and uh, Tim, uh, just uh, exactly where can people find uh, and and buy their own copy of uh, UFO Repeaters? Well, like I say, a Kindle, you can find a very inexpensive uh, uh, version. And Tim did the, uh, the layout, for the, well, both of the books, act, actually, but you did a superb job on the Kindle because Kimble, the Kindle editions of a book are not necessarily the easiest ones to put uh, together where you can really, but the, the photographs are there and you just t- tap on the photo and they appear, you know, you can manipulate them and they appear. Anyway, they're available, uh, of course, from Amazon.com, both print and uh, Kindle version. And, of course, from our own conspiracyjournal.com website. In fact, I think there's a special offer up on the front page, if I remember seeing it the other night. And it's a marvelous book, and if you only buy one UFO book this year, get yourself a copy of UFO uh, Repeaters, The Camera Does Not Lie, especially if you like UFO photos. You know, my friend uh, Wendell Stevens owed out books on UFO photos, and some of them were good, and uh, some of them were, you know, just like, not very Impressive, but we have taken the best and published the best, and it's UFO repeaters, the camera doesn't lie. And now I'll let you take your break, and I will exit UFO stage right, and then I will, uh, uh, I'm sure you will continue with Mark, because he has quite a story, and I know he's going to have a hard time compressing it into an hour. So I'm getting out of here, and don't forget to li- don't forget to listen to me on uh, unraveling the secrets. We broadcast live over PSN Radio, right, Jackal? And um, that's on a Saturday night at um, eleven o'clock Eastern uh, time. And of course, the shows are I- uh, archived, 
And uh, most of them are up at um, YouTube. Either type in Tim Beckley or Mr. UFO's secret file, and away we go. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to our break, and when we come back, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more with uh, Mark Brinkerhoff about uh, UFO repeaters. So you are listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Swartz. Stay tuned for more right after this. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Join the club that gives you stuff. Hey, thanks! Radio Loyalty. Here's how it works. Just click on the Radio Loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then, you keep on listening like you already do. But now, you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for stuff in the Radio Loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the New Players App Store. Pretty simple, right? Radio Loyalty. Click that banner to join now. Free stuff for you just for listening to this station. 
Yeah, we got your attention. Here's how it works. You click on the radio loyalty banner right now and sign up. Then you keep on listening like you already do. But now you earn points. Those points add up, and you can trade them in for cool stuff in the radio loyalty store. Earn more points by sharing your station with friends on Facebook and Twitter, answering surveys, and by using the apps in the new player's app store. Pretty simple. Free stuff just for doing what you already do. Radio loyalty. Click the banner to join now. games and now uh we're here with uh with mark again mark you've been on the show once before yes hi mike <laughs> hi tim how are you okay thank you very very well and, and so you've been busy i guess uh working on the new book with tim with the two tims and and various other things what else have you been up to uh finishing a book on space symbols i received from the crew from the ships that i've been visiting uh allowed to bring them back when i was out of body out there and uh um, another book, just about finished with this one called, we don't have a real name for it, but let's say the Universal Galactic Handbook. And the other book I have, um, is another kind of a paranormal book that will help people. So that finished, we're editing that one again, double checking it. And we're going to come out with you soon. It's interesting because you said when you were out of body out there, and we talked about that the last time you were on here, that these experiences seem to be as much sort of shamanistic experiences in a in a spirit or or astral realm as they are having to do with extraterrestrials if not more so no it's more so it's not astral at all um i guess if there's anybody out there who understands what used to be with paul uh, paul um twitchell was ekankar i didn't mm-hmm. know ekankar was in when i was a little kid but i was doing it so it's i call it uh soul travel there's no other word i can call it because uh, astral is on the astral levels around the planet um then you got out of body, which would take you just a little further in the other realms of the other astral, just a few, fourth dimensional spaces and all. Soul travel takes you deeper and into far reaches of space and deep, uh, high levels. I was a little kid uh, telling my parents and anybody who would listen that there are other places. I didn't know how to explain it, but now I know I would have said planes or levels or places to go. And as I got older uh, in high school and middle school, I would say, well, you know, there's more. There's like 12 or more levels that I've visited that are beyond this planet. And they're 
22nd levels are very high light beams, very, very light, all light beams. So where the crew that I was with, I guess you'd say my family, I guess, uh, I come from is uh, 12th and beyond. But they come and work through these other levels coming lower to the 8th, 7th, 6th, 5th, 4th, and like that. But they stay mostly around the 6th, 7th, 8th, and up because their frequencies are higher. So when you're soul traveling, you can actually get to some of those levels. But you have to have a clean, and this is for the people out there, and you have to purify your body, uh, try to stay clean. I, in my whole life, uh, they told me as a little kid, things are here set up as tests. And you have to make decisions. Otherwise, people can be addicted to things. So I understood about that. And so I never smoked, drank, took drugs or any of that stuff. Keeping the body or the temple, let's call it, because Christ called it a temple, because it is. But our soul is in this shell that we carry, like a car, and the passenger has a soul. So we have to keep it clean and uh, as purify as we can. You know, trying to keep this clean. We're in a polluted area anywhere in New York, but uh, around the planet being polluted with you know, radiation and everything, but you can reach further. The more addictions a being has with them, like, let's say, drugs or alcohol, or heavy, smoking doesn't cover it so badly, but drugs, mostly alcohol and heavy psychedelic type drugs, will keep a soul, if you're trying to out, go out of body, you'll be, you won't be able to go further past the fourth level or the fourth dimensional spacing around the earth because your energy is holding you down with that, that, let's say, like, vibration or clutter, <laughs> I don't know, pollution energy. So I try to tell people, if you want to go further, you have to clean it, clean the body, drink a little bit of water at night before you go to sleep. And the water works in the physical body, in your stomach area, the solar plexus, as a magnetic, in a way, frequency enhancer. So you got you can leave the body. And best timing is at 3 a.m. in the morning for things like that to happen. Um, but that's the best way I could say soul travel was what I was doing. So when we go out, when I was out there, I would become my over-self or my other-self, not Mark. I'd be, I'd have pictures on my website of how I appear out of body with people that met me. And they didn't realize it was me until we talked, you know, and then they go, oh my gosh, it's, you're that, ET. <laughs> so this is how they saw it. And I've appeared in people's rooms. I was thinking I was just telepathically going there mentally, uh, projecting love. And I imagined myself at the end of somebody's hospital bed. Uh, who was in the hospital at the time. I never met her, but I was out there helping her. She said to send the energy. And I saw her moving, so I left. I blessed and I left. Next day, I went to meet her for the first time to help her get home. And this happened in Peekskill back in 1976. And she said, I showed her the drawings I had made. And she goes, oh, my gosh, that's the person who was staying at the end of my bed last night at 2 in the morning. And I went, oh, 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 that was what? You saw me? She goes, that's you. I said, yeah. I was appearing at the end of your bed. I didn't know I could be seen. So I was. she told me it was a misty, like a ghostly image of me as a, my other self, my true self, which is inside this body. So even Ingo Swan, when he first met me back in the early 90s, he said, I see you right in there. You're, you're that ET, <laughs> that person there. So this all psychics have seen through the physical to that. So that's why I try to help people. Um, I've taken people out of body out to the ship that's around the earth. There's a couple of ships around the earth playing uh, dimensions here. And they recall that uh, coming back and going there and seeing things and teachers as well. So it's soul travel, I call it, to get further. Well, place. it raises a couple of questions I wanted to ask you. First of all, I guess, is do you think that as a lot of um, earlier societies 
believe that dreaming is a form of soul travel? Do you are people accessing these areas, these realms, whether they realize it or not? Yes, I think lucid dreaming. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And second, do you ever worry about somebody else getting in your body while you're not there, and then you yeah, can't get back in? No, no, I don't want people to worry about that. That's a that's a somebody made that up. I think years ago. I don't have to scare people. It never happens. And the reason is, well, in case okay, somebody died, their their soul would be disconnected from the body, and that would happen. What, what what about so called walk ins? Oh, uh, no, only if they're disconnected. I'm walking. And uh, the soul that left the body, the baby died. I was before I got in here. So the baby died, and that's when I was given a choice. I was watching the whole thing, and uh, because uh, the, let's say, those beings that work with that energy on the other side, uh, they give you some help if you can. Uh, it's hard for us from space to get into the earth levels unless you had karmic energies here, and I didn't have any here. So they said, well, you have to take what we, we can find. <laughs> <laughs> so the, they looked for people who I knew, and it was, my father was close to a person I knew in space from year, thousands of years ago. So um, my mom was having miscarriages, so natural miscarriages, and I think it was after World War II, you know. And so uh, uh, this baby was going to be born dead. It was a stillbirth happening around eight, eighth month, and uh, it died. And they were going to give her, a, uh, my mother, a um, spinal or something. To get, uh, she told me this later that they were going to have a cesarean get the baby out. When all of a sudden, after I got in, um, uh, the all the electronic stuff started activating again, and they they were just about to give her that spinal and numb her. So I was able to tell her all this as a child as well as when I got older. Everything that happened in that room before I got in, as well as what happened after she left. And she said there was no way for me to, of course, know that, but she believed me. And um, that was how I got in. So once we connect, uh, there's a connection that occurs. It's in the back of your head, uh, where the area of the spinal cord, as well as the solar plexus. There's a connection that has to be made. So and you're talking about the, you're talking about the silver thread. Yeah, and more. Yeah, there's a connection with that energy as well as electric. Oh. It seems like electrical energy. So it, it, I think it's to do with the Kundalini because it's the same energy that I recall when happened. It's like a jolt of energy, like a jump start. Right. But you re- but you recall, um, you, you have total recall of of being a walk in and, and all that stuff before I came here, where I was on the ship, and how we talked to the uh, let, let's quit, quote the lords of karma, whatever people call them here on those uh, different planets around our Earth. Saturn and Venus had them, and there's teachers you had to talk to. So we had a, I, I, I tell people we had to plead a little case, you know, like well if you get in, what would you do? And the crew. We, we said, well, we're just trying to help with the changes that are coming. There's a frequency, and they, they knew that. They said, well, you could do what you could do, you know. And, and I, right. I know Yeshua from over there, who we call uh-huh. here Jesus, but I knew his name as a different name of space. And and um, when I knew, knew and graduated actually, years later as a child, um, I knew him as the person everybody calls Sananda, and. He's a real being. He's beautiful. He's a wonderful person. But he, he's the one who I'm following uh, as energy for trying to help this planet. We're, we're all trying to help the space beings that come here that are good, you know, and kind and benevolent. But they come from such high realms of energy, some of them, that the only way to communicate here would be to get into a, a physical body to help. So that's, that's kind of the way it is. And um, most of the energy, the things I've talked about, 
are my memories from over there. And I used to tell my father as a little child, uh, I saw all these different things when they took me on the ship as a little kid, uh, five years old. And I said, there was a beautiful uh, three. I didn't know how to explain to my dad at that time. I said, it looked like a picture, but it was all around. It was a dinosaur, a 3D dinosaur. But I could touch it. I could walk around it. And it acted like it was real. But they kept telling me, this is not real. It's a projection. So today we call it a hologram. But now you'd think Star Trek holographic rooms. You know, you've got to think, oh, there it is, 3D. But I tried to explain it to people at five years old, and uh, I couldn't say anything about a real picture made real that you can walk around and touch. But it wasn't real. It was programmed. So the dinosaur would react, but it was a program. So it's actually beautiful. It was a baby brontosaurus. People call it a patasaur that I saw that time. And uh, um, so there's other things that they had shown me as well as what was coming to the planet system, our, our solar system, our galaxy. And this is what I try to teach about. The, the energy that's out there in space that our galaxy is moving towards, which is causing these frequency upgrades and frequency energy shifts. Mark, this is Tim. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, ask you about your, your photographs, because, I mean, you know, we feature them, yeah. Predominantly in, in the book UFO repeaters. And I mean, you, uh, have managed to capture some just absolutely, you know, in, in incredible, uh, photographs. When did you first, uh, discover, okay, uh, two part question actually. Yeah. When did you first discover that you were able to take these pictures and, um, uh, do you have a sense when is, say, like the right time to start looking for these things in the sky and take the pictures? Or do you just, you know, go out at any time and uh, it just kind of happens to be, you know, happen chance that you are able to get these? Oh, yeah. Some, sometimes, um, as a, they used to follow me as a child. Um, I would see them, I'd hear them, I'd turn around and look, and I would look up and there'd be this silver sphere or an elongated cigar-shaped object that was high up. And one time I was driving up north uh-huh. on the Taconic. After the, I got off the Taconic heading towards Route 6. Up, not, it's past Peekskill. I'll be going towards Mohopec. And I, I was driving, and I had a camera with me, too, because I had a vibe that morning when I left New York. I said, well, I'll bring a camera. But you can't drive and take a camera and aim it out a window at the same time when you're in traffic. But I had it near me, and I heard hi to my left, of course, it's the window. And I, had it, I rolled it down, and I looked up. And the moon was up in the sky that day at 11 in the morning. And there next to uh, about in the sky, five inches or so away from the little tiny moon was up at 11 in the morning, was a beautiful, classic flying saucer, everybody thinks about, silver chrome, reflective, spinning, and a glass silver, a beautiful glassy, multi uh, vibrational looking dome. Looked like glass. It was so beautiful. It's just hovering up in the sky. So I'm trying to pull over, but there's nowhere to pull over. There's no side to the road. It's just a gutter. And I was like, you guys do this now? And there's trees coming through. So I tried to aim the camera, but it just wouldn't work. I hmm. pulled up behind cars. We were stuck in traffic now. And I just stopped and I'm looking at this crap. I'm saying, no one sees you up there. That's great. Then it starts poofing a cloud around. It's spinning and rotating the bottom flange, not the dome. It's spinning and beautifully. It looked like, a, again, it looks like a silver mirror. It was so beautiful. And then poofs a cloud. It starts forming a cloud right around the whole UFO. And before you know it, there's a cute little beautiful puffy cloud sitting there in the sky, moving slowly. 
So I, I love them. You can see them in the city too. They'll they'll form a sh- uh, cloud around them, or they'll fly in and out of a cloud, getting your attention, and then we'll fly out the other side. They'll just go in, pop out again, like on like going on the right, going to the left, and then pop out again, going to the right, and sit there, and then pop in to the left and sit in the cloud, and it doesn't come out. And uh, my wife and I used to see that going up Columbus Avenue here in New York. Where I tried, I couldn't take a picture. I didn't have a camera with me, so I'm trying to keep a camera with me. Because I've seen amazing ones when I didn't have the camera on me. And I would go, why did you do this when I didn't have a camera? But a lot of times it's when you don't expect it. That's when they show. They would like to do that so uh, you recall it easy. It's almost like being shocked for a moment. You turn around, there's a beautiful, incredible object, and you didn't expect it. So you're going, whoa. And your, your memory records it like a pure photograph, like a movie screen or camera. So if you recall it, 20 years ago, it's exactly the way it was when you saw it, so beautifully detailed. So a lot of that has happened to me as a kid and as I got older, but it's happening all the time. I, I'm, I'm walking down the street in New York, and if I feel look up or hear look up, there might be a couple of spheres sitting there, just in one spot, sitting there for a while, and then they just flash off. They don't zoom away. They just go, okay, that's it. Um, well, now, if if anybody is with you when when this happens, uh, are they able to see these uh, uh, spheres as well? Yes, yes, they do. And a couple of my friends who were witnesses never saw UFOs before. They said, "I don't know I've seen UFOs now is with you uh, up at Botanical Garden um, in uh, Bronx, or I guess in the Bronx. Botanical Garden is a, a beautiful place, so you take pictures of expanse. And even on our website, there's a copper UFO that showed up. We took the picture thinking there was something in the sky, but we couldn't see it because it was clouds. And when we got the camera home and you know downloaded the picture, there is a perfectly oval copper object sitting there. And it must have been big in the sky because when you see the sides of it next to the clouds, it's like, oh, my God, it's like an airplane up there. And we took another picture another time. The same uh, day we were visiting, took another photo just for the scenery, and the same object showed up in it in a different spot. But that was even like 20 minutes later. So it was following us around, I guess. But it was copper. I always see silver or gold or white, but this was copper. Um, big ones. Well, well now, in, in the book, we, uh, we featured a couple of photographs that, uh, that, that look almost like, um, gosh, like a window with a, uh, a silhouette in the window. I think we have actually two of them. One of them, the uh, the w- uh, window or whatever you'd want to call it is is almost rectangular in shape, and the other one is is round. And both of them have what appears to be you know like a, a human silhouettes. Uh, now, can you uh, de- uh, describe the situation on uh, how you're able to get these photographs? That was back in 1977, I guess, uh, when I first took the first pictures. The first pictures were on the first film I tried. Um, the under phalange UFO shooting a probe, and then that that um, porthole with the silhouette. Those were the first two on one roll of film that I ever got. Those were the first, and they were really cool because the first one I said I was just aiming the camera at the sky. Tell, they tell me where to aim it, so I turned to my right or left, and I just hold a little camera with the flash bulb up there, you know, a little brownie camera, and I said, "Tell me where you want me to aim." And I telepathically feel the link to say, go turn your body. And sometimes I would be talking to people on the field with me, and they'd watch me, and I'd just be talking with you, like aiming my arm up in the air and just spinning over in a circle and turning and stopping, and then I'll click the camera. I was being, like, telepathically directed where to aim it. 
Um, that day I said, can you show me something? It'd be fun to show me something with probes or energy. Can that, can that be possible? And I didn't know. I just said, can it? And then I was told, click. And um, that one came. I, but of course, I didn't get home. I had to wait till photo, photo mat processed everything. So I had no idea what I got on my camera until I got it home. That, you know, the film home um, from photo mat stores at the time. So the one at the porthole, uh, my telepathy, my intuition, your psychic ability, I knew there were spaceships high in the sky. I felt them, but they would show up as giant bright stars moving and stopping. But that night uh, that those photos, photos were taken, I knew they were there invisible, like high etheric level. And they told me back then, they said, well, we'll put stuff on the film for you. That'll you know shock some people. Uh, Coleman von Kavitsky analyzed the films back in the 70s and 80s, also with uh, Pete Mazzola with the SBI, Scientific Bureau Investigation. He said he never saw film like it. This was 126 camera film and 110, those little tiny negatives. He said that when he blew the things up, some of them, the pictures, he saw star patterns in the background. He said that's impossible with that kind of camera. And even photographers who were professional, um, MUFON photographer came over to watch me and do this. He said, you realize what you're doing is impossible? And I had no idea. He says, yeah, you're, you're aiming a flash thing, a flash camera, and it flashes only 12 feet in front of you. How can you be getting these higher things in the sky? I said, it's not me, it's them, I don't know. So Coleman, the Kavitsky, by Kavitsky said, he's, he looked at the film, and that brown color on all my old film, it's a brownish color. He said, this has been changed somehow. But he couldn't figure out how the film had been changed. But he said maybe it was some kind of vibration, but it didn't make sense. Because all my other camera film, like from the same camera, if I was just taking regular pictures, they would be dark or like a black sky. I wouldn't do that. Either. So it, it was um, when he said he had all that experience, too. Uh, 25 years with Kodak and 25 years as a military photographer and analyst. So he had all that experience. Um, so those are the first ones taken. And when I looked at it, intuitively I knew because I've seen the ships with the portholes. So I just knew, oh, this is a lift behind from the interior ship. And coming from their frequencies, they told me the colors will change because the frequency that they are from projecting towards the camera, uh, the camera picks up certain color ranges. So certain, certain colors won't show up, but others will. And so orangey, orangey red tones show up. And um, that one had amber, brown, gold colors. I and green, you know, so it's it's really strange at the time when I was talking to them about the, the space beings, and they say, don't worry, this is the way, it's just going to happen for now. Um, I, of course, I would see them in the daytime. I didn't always have a camera with me, though. And, but at that time, it was so much fun being at night with the sky watching that friends, uh, uh, scientists, they had people, SBI, the Scientific Bureau of Investigation, witnessed the UFOs coming when I called telepathically. And uh, that's when they totally decided to work with me the rest of the couple of years later. They, they worked with me for about four, four years or more, uh, first analyzing everything. But Pete Mazzola came here, and Tim remembers. He called Tim to find out if he had knowledge of anybody who had these experiences. And Tim said, I had a, I had a photograph or a negative. So Pete comes here saying, I heard you had a negative. I said, negative. I went to a room, got an envelope, a folder, big yellow folder, middle folder, and negatives were all in there, film, movie film. He's like, what? So he analyzed it all, took the cameras and everything, and and uh, that was what I got. Now, that one that you saw, the other one with the cut corner square, mm -hmm. that was a 35-millimeter camera film that 
MUFON uh, investigator, uh, he was a good friend, Fred, uh, he took that, uh, he took my cameras to get analyzed and there was no light leaks on any of the cameras as well as Pete and all the analysts. But he says, since I'm leaving you without a camera, I'm going to give you one of my um, other 35 millimeter cameras to use while, until when, when they come back. I said, okay. He says, yeah, I wonder if you get one on my camera. You know, you're like, there's nothing wrong with my camera. My camera's no leaks. So he said, well, I don't know. It's up to that. So he leaves me his camera. So that, that one uh, frame, I think was frame, I don't remember, 14 or something. Um, out of all the film that camera had, that was the only one that came out with the picture. And when I saw it, and the reason I got excited about that picture was I had, when I met Stella Lansing, I'm bringing Stella back for a minute. When I met Stella and she met Fred, we went up to be with her and I wanted her to meet Fred. She didn't trust investigators because she had told me privately, investigators had come here and stolen stuff from her house while, uh, while she was in the kitchen giving them one of the guys tea. The other guy went towards the bathroom and went into her room and took files and stole stuff. So she said, I don't trust investigators. And I said, well, well my friend's, you know, he's trustworthy. <laughs> well, she still didn't want to show everything. Well, Fred, when he went home back to Massachusetts, no, back to New York, uh, Connecticut, I mean, he went back to Connecticut. She said, are you going? Because I have my own car. She goes, I said, no, I can stay for a while. She goes, because we want to show you what we caught on film. They went to one of the spots they had had a photograph where she aimed at the camera, and a UFO showed up over telephone poles. It's a very famous picture. Mm-hmm. And inside, it was transparent in the front. You could see two guys sitting in the front inside the spaceship, or small ship. They filmed that ship. They got out of the car, her and her friend Fran at the time, uh, filmed that UFO. So they went back a year later to, like, an anniversary. They wanted to go back to the same spot and film it. So they took me to that spot, too, but I can't remember the name of the road. But it was, it was interesting where it was. She said, um, so we took it and we took our movie camera, our brand new movie camera, and we scanned the area so we could, so I could see where it was and all that. When they got home, when they got it analyzed, I mean, um, when they got the film processed and they got it home, she, they took the film and played it on a movie screen. And what comes on the screen was a doorway that looked just like that, square with cut corners. And I, I saw that for the first time there. I saw it zoom by, and she slowed it frame by frame. And what comes out is the egress. She wanted to know what it was. Um, the door appears to open up, like slide, like Star Trek. Slides open on left to right. And there in the doorway, it's about, we counted, I counted around um, 15 to 18 people in a rows standing to look outside this big, giant doorway. It's not a window. It's a giant doorway. Mm-hmm. And there was a man or a space being. They look human-like. They look more like my friends and crew, actually. Dressed in pure, beautiful gold spacesuits, form-fitted spacesuits, men and women, uh, perfected-looking beings, and long hair, short hair, you know, and they had bronzy, golden skin. So she said when she first saw it, I thought these people were naked. They were all gold. I said, oh, that's their spacesuit. Their, their skin tones can range from copper, bronze, and, you know, beautiful colors and tans and stuff. And she says, oh. So one of the beings had in his hand by the door, on the, if you're looking at the screen, he would be on the left side of the screen. He had a, a rod, a silver rod. It looked to be, in his hand, what we would estimate 14 inches long, maybe, in our hands. But these beings are tall. So he's aiming 
he's holding a rod, and the man next to him, nobody's talking, you can see them moving their heads, he points outside, points over there, and the man takes the rod, and he goes, okay, and he tosses it, and he goes down into the grass. And then the door is shut. Meanwhile, the other people are looking around and pointing, like, wow, they, you know, look at that. And they were huge, because it's zoomed by, they were 12 feet tall, probably, when, when you compare them to the trees near the area. So she wanted to know what that was. And I said, well, that was a spaceship came through, dimensionally. The doorway opened because it was invisible to those frequencies, but the camera was able to pick up that. And um, what you saw was this beautiful thing happened, and then zoom, boom, gone. So I tried to get Pete Mazzola that film or he, so he could make a copy, and I tried to talk Stella into allowing him. Pete was willing to pay her money for it to just get a copy, and he'll send it back. Well, what happened is her friend took the film uh, because they had a falling out. And so no one knows what happened to that film with the cameras. Fran died, and then uh, now Stella passed away. But I talked to Stella a few years back, and uh, she was excited to talk about that again with me. But um, that's how I saw the square with the cut corners. I said, oh, I've seen these doors on the ships, yeah. So when this film showed up, it looked, if you took a magnifier, you could look at it with the light, uh, where it wasn't as dark. You could just put it behind light. You could see the whole square shape of a giant, like a doorway, with cut corners. And um, what I saw with my magnifiers and everything at that time, looking at the negatives, you could see this. Uh, a person sitting on the right side, and it looks like a chair, a little chair, and some tall person standing on the left side of the film. In the background is some kind of strange manifestation going on back there. And uh, I, I asked him, I said, is this the doorway, like a similar type of doorway effect here? And they say it's like a giant window effect that they can do. They can pull these things up. It wasn't like a door. It could become a door, I guess. But they wanted us to be able to see that. Um, that was uh, the best I could say for what that was. It definitely a window effect. And they, I asked them what that little white light was in the center. And they said, oh, that is where we manifested it first to appear onto the film, projecting it down. And uh, when Fred got the film and saw it, he was like, I didn't believe, I couldn't believe this came on the film. I said, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the camera is. I think it's how we approach, you know, at that time. Being positive, not being, being nonchalant about it. I don't care if you project anything. I still love you. That's what I used to do. I say, it's okay. If you want to put something down, great. If not, it's okay. I don't care. <laughs> I had blank film, but the f experience was a lot of fun. So I met my wife, uh, back at, when we, I, we actually met March 3rd, 1978 at Tim Beckley's place. And uh, the reason I was in New York was because Steve Spielberg's people wanted to meet with someone who had contact with aliens at a young age that were benevolent. And uh, I came to New York to meet with them and talk to them. And so they kept recorded everything. And I even said, am I supposed to sign something? You know, <laughs> we give me credit for anything here? Well, that's where they got home for E.T., you know, because I was saying where I go is we call home. There's no other way I could call it as a child. Like, when I was visiting out of body and going home, uh, the ship is our home. That's how I explained it. So uh, that day, I was going home on a sub. I was going to go home on the train at Grand Central, and I was stopped by a buffer energy. I'll say my angel, one of my angels, and they said, "Go back and make Tim uh, make a phone call to Tim. Say thank you." And I said, "I can't. I, I mean, they know I'm going straight home. Go back, make a phone call to Tim." I said, "Okay, I'll go back." So that train left went back up on the ramps with my portfolio and photographs and all that, UFOs and art, and showed those guys that day. Made the phone call, and, t and um, our friend Harold answered the phone. 
and Harold's passed away. And he says, oh, Mark, thank God you called. There's a woman that's been waiting hours hoping you might show up. I, I said, well, you guys knew I was going straight home. He said, yeah, that's what we said. We don't know if he'll call because he was going to go straight home. And so I hopped on a taxi and got over there as fast as I could. And this was Phyllis, my wife. And um, I had had a vision of her in 1976 when I was in Florida in a park. I had asked, is there anybody on the whole planet I could talk to someday about these things? Because in those days, you couldn't talk to anybody about this, um, about UFOs or anything. They'd just walk away. And I, uh, energy came into the car, a vibration, and I looked to my right, and there was a person sitting next to me in the car as 3D as anyone could be, a 3D person. Don't touch, I heard, but this is a vision to let you know there's a person. And I knew what she looked like. I just didn't know who she was. So I telepathically said, well, well, how would I meet? I mean, where would I go? And I was in Florida. And I turned to, quickly. I was in Tampa driving. So I looked to my right, looked back on the, at the window, and there in front of me was a, a hill with pine trees on the side. So I said, oh, I'll go back north. Okay. And that hill with the pine trees occurred in 1978 when we, Phyllis and I were going up to visit Betty Hill. And uh, she, wanted, she wanted us to stay with her for a week. And we saw a lot of UFOs up there. And um, there was the pine trees when we came over. It was a deja vu for me. And Phyllis was dressed exactly the way she was that day in 1976. So I have these strange, incredible, mysterious things that are beautiful and come to me. When the crew teleported me on their ship, that's I've written in my website where the, you see the three people, one sitting on the left, two standing, Mm-hmm. That's an illustration I made uh, of my friends, and the higher aspect on the left is my over part, actually. So you see, our over parts are our future selves that can actually come towards us in those out of body states. But I was driving physically to go visit my friend Ralph in uh, upstate. You know, I was upstate in the whole pack, and I said to him, he calls me at twelve and around eleven o'clock or so, and he says, "You want to come over because I need a sky watch." I said, "Okay, it'll take me about." 40 some odd more minutes or an hour. So expect me around 12 midnight. And uh, he said, okay. So at 10 after 11 p.m., I left the house, got in the car and started driving by the Lake Bay Pack area. Got to a dangerous point. There's a dangerous point, a corner that's sharp. It's called Dead Man's Curve, they call it as a joke. I don't remember the name of the curve. I get to that point and I blinked. You know, you're just driving. I slowed the car so slow, almost stopping it because it's a very sharp curve. I, I blinked and all of a sudden I was on the ship with, the, with them in that position. When I appeared, that's the vision I saw of them standing there in color, of course. I just drew it in black and white. <clears throat> and I'm like thinking I'm out soul traveling tonight. It was that I'm home. I'm back with the gang, you know. I'm in the same height as them and I'm looking at them and I feel something's up. I feel like there's something going on. And one of my, one of my friends telepathy says, how was your day? He's smiling. That's the one in the middle. That's some terrorists. And he said, yeah, how's your day? And I said, oh, it's fine. He said, well, what happened to me? So, well, I was on my way. And wait, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. I never got to Ralph's. I said, wait a minute. I never went to bed. <laughs> out of my ear already. And they, I said, who's driving the car? And they said, don't worry. Everything's suspended. You'll be all right. We'll see you later at the field. We'll see you later tonight on the ship when you come out. That's how they talk with me. So suddenly I blink, and I'm back in the car. And now I'm in front of of woods that are near Ralph's house on the mountain that he lives on. And I, I'm on a slow spot, so the car stopped almost, and I turned to my left because it's a curve. And I'm like, whoa. Get into Ralph's driveway and honk the horn for him, because I always honk it. 
And remember, this is like 1977. And he's, uh, he comes to the door and there I am on the drive and he says, Mark, how can you be here? I just hung up the phone with you a few minutes ago. And, uh, they, so they teleported us, uh, in the future, I guess you'd say. Not missing time, gaining time. So it should have taken almost an hour. Took me less than five minutes. Because when I got in his kitchen, it was about just roughly 20 after 11. I got in my car at 10 after 11. And even getting out of my car, taking my briefcase, my, my bag that I carried photos in and stuff, I was getting out of the car, saying I was just on a spaceship. And he said, we had to be someplace <laughs> because he couldn't have gotten here that fast. So this was the fun things they do. But the 3D, the real reality, these beings are real. They can appear to us uh, as physical people if they, if they want to. In the fields, they appear to me as physical. And always in a certain dis, uh, destination around their ships, around their energy. So they keep that form. Well, now, one of the things that uh, that, that I want to ask you about, uh, Mark. Now, the the final chapter in uh, the book UFO Repeaters is uh, I wrote called uh, "Where Have All the Spacemen Gone," and uh, I I go into um, how there have been all kinds of different shapes, sizes, and you know what have you of uh, you know the so-called UFO occupants that, that that people have had experiences with. Uh now, you know, your descriptions uh you know uh, falls into, you know, what we call like the you know the traditional space brothers, nordics, you know, what have you. Uh what what about um these other uh, uh humanoid shapes and and some of them not even humanoid shapes that have been seen uh over the years i mean are you know are these uh, uh have these people had actual encounters are they telling tall stories or is there almost like a uh, like a pantheon of uh, uh of beings that are visiting planet earth you know, are, are, you know almost are we like Kind of like a uh, like a cosmic Disneyland almost, and <laughs> you know, and everybody's got a ticket, and you know, wanting to get here. <laughs> well, that's a good one because um, <clears throat> our planet Earth is known all around different parts of our universe and galaxies around here. That's how I, from I can tell you from what I've studied out in space too on the ships, knowing this from their past. We this Earth is called a resource planet, even before uh, the humans, let's say got on it enough. It's flipped over a few times. We're on the fourth one. It's flipped the fourth time. So we are on that run right now. And I even think the Hopi speak of that, that there was a, the flips in the past. So we had beautiful, um, beautiful, Earth was beautiful too at different times, you know, different flips. There was a lot of technology happening. So a lot of past stuff is coming up now, even under the oceans or they're digging. Like remember the one about the, the out of place object, the, uh, um, battery in a geode, millions of years old. They, those kind of things where like things show up in geodes. So yeah, we, we, this planet's been around. It's known that way. And it's, it's older than I think Earth calls it, thinks it is. So these beings are from different places, different dimensional spaces perhaps, but the physical ones come from different places like physical densities like here, like we have. So they might come from another galaxy or solar systems around our galaxy and they can look like many different kinds of beings. So we have the challenge here for all us here in these physical realities is remember these are shells. These are just forms we're all into work on this reality, these physical bodies. We cannot judge them no matter what they look like. And we have to realize there is a soul in there and we might know them, you know, from another time we have to yeah, see yeah. the differences is not different. 
And that's the, also a lesson for this planet as well. Space people see the planet Earth as a home for, for the 3D right now. We're, we're cosmic boot camp. We always say that here. Uh, we're tra- challenging lessons with all these things going on. The main thing is forgiveness and love of all. So we have to learn to forgive and live with each other as family, not as, uh, they see everything as together, as a family. Uh, they see us separated in co- colonies or countries and cities, fighting and trying to get each other. They don't understand that because they can't figure how we can harm each other. But they come from that kind of an energy. They don't harm anything. So they, that's the challenge here. So yeah, you got these different beings, and they're visiting maybe, or they're taking a sample of an earth. Or I hate to think, we don't want to think of uh, you know, taking samples of people, but it does happen. It's not right. They don't like that, but it does happen. And when they say to some people, well, you, you gave us permission before you came. Now they're, now that could be true. Cause I knew people who remembered being a, another kind of a space being and said, I came to earth cause I wanted to experience what this was here. Cause I'd seen it visiting. So they might have been a little tiny being, you know, and, uh, Knowing that's true, I, I know that can be true when they say you gave us the permission to do this. A lot of times this is happening because we set it up before we came in. The, the people, when they have their visions or sightings. sightings Mark, Mark, I, I have a, a, co- a question for you. It's just a couple questions, actually. You know what's, what, sto- what the Stockholm Syndrome is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. has it ever occurred to you in terms of like Taking a serious, a totally objective, objective look at your experiences, and ask yourself if you have not been conditioned to put out the message of accept any and all beings, no matter what they appear as, or or listen to these other forces. Don't listen to you know um, um, conventional historical forces or or, or sources. Do you ever get the impression that you're being conditioned in a Stockholm Syndrome or even a Pavlovian sort of way to <clears throat> undertake a mission that may not be what you think it is? I'm interesting. I would say no, because um, when I was even a child and I would talk with them, they would say, now, not everyone is like all of us and, and where you come from. So they always said, be careful. Trust your heart and trust, to, you know, when they, only the, the beings of benevolence and love and friendly ones will be able to usually talk telepathically. You should be able to get a vibration. They how do you know that? How do you know that only the benevolent ones can do it? If the ones that are doing it are actually not benevolent, or some of them are not, and they, they're going to say they're benevolent, just like the guy who wants to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge is going to say he's benevolent. So how do you know? That what you're dealing with is benevolent, without without any objective basis on which to 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 base that. Um, I've experienced really bad uh, entities, let's say right. demonic things, when I've been in places um, like we wouldn't say haunted houses, but I visited a hotel down in Florida that was definitely haunted, and I found out way later that it was, and I saw things, but also the most horrible thing a misty cloudy thing showed up my cat responded because I had my cat with me and my friend was a waiter down there and staying in his big suite this thing shows up looks like a dark cloud and uh, I did a certain incantation you say to it it's an ancient thing and it 
casts away these kind of demonic things. So I've, I always use the, those ancient words for that. And that thing disappeared and uh, took off and you just saw it dematerialize. The beings I'm talking about are my friends or my family, or I call them my friends and family because they are, they are like ascended ET masters. They're like Christ meeting with you. And I've met Christ here in my own house. As a, uh, uh, he appeared. He, uh, he appeared actually as a child, as a 12-year-old. And so he talked with me and then he hugged me and kissed me on the cheek and that was it. I, mean, I was crying and it was beautiful. But um, that's why I'm kind of for him. I work for his energy to help. Not the religion. It's not about religion. It's about the truth of everything that is and the, the beingness and the love. Creator. The last time you were on here, we talked about that, and you know, you said that Christ is the Creator, but how is He also an alien if He's the Creator? Well, He appears as this over heart we call Sananda now. That's what Sananda is. Uh-huh. He is um, when they say He's the first comeback, firstborn. Let's say Creator. We all know about that information. Um, he can appear because He is like the firstborn. We call it the firstborn. It's a projection of a soul. So we all know him, and there are beings that know of him who are negative and uh, or more, you know, for themselves, trying to get things like uh, get minerals from plants, and they just come in and take things, um, other places and resources. So if, um, if we even have a consciousness of, of Yeshua, with us, he, he had last told me years and years and years ago. Um, he's rescued me from different things where I had miraculous occurrences. And he told me then, even as a child, that your thoughts, last thoughts be on me and no harm will come to you. Just keep love in your heart and be loved. And uh, I've had le- levitations, miracles have happened. I was hitting, hitting a tree almost on a black ice and I huh. him and stopped the car. His face appeared in the windshield and, uh, the whole thing stopped and people in cars behind us, my girlfriend at the time I had, um, were saying, what happened? Oh my gosh, you were hidden right for that big giant tree on the reservoir. And I said, I'll have to say Jesus happened. That's all I get to think. It's I, I called out. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of beings. And I would not say, listen, everybody out there, don't just start calling to any kind of a thing you see flying in the sky. Um, telepath first, send love energy. If it's not of any of that frequency, it will not respond back, even if it's Earth-made, you know, like the Earth people have things up there. So, military and stuff. Um, the crews had warned me to tell people way back, uh, when I was 10, you know, to tell people, do not look at any kind of a craft up in the sky that looks like it's dark red, really dark red. They said that comes from another area, and it's usually those grays or something. But they, at the time, they told me, uh, I asked them if they knew the beings that Betty Hill met when I was 12 years old, 11 years old or so, and they said, we know of them, but we're not, we don't work with them. And they said, don't think of them. This is, I'm 11 years old. They said, don't think of them, and those types will not come towards you. So this comes into the drawing, again, what we draw, we think. We draw, we think towards us. And so I tell people that, too, because I had friends that were abducted. They're now passed on, but they were abducted by these beings, had babies missing and everything. And they were in their head, over their house, over the house with a blue energy being in the backyard, saying, come on, it's okay. Come out to see that somewhere here in the light. And she knew. 
She knew the blue bean. So she says, uh uh-uh. She started yelling at them with her mind and out loud in her mouth, yelling in her house and saying telepathically, get out of here, get the hell out of here. And she started calling on angels and Christ and other beings. So they disappeared. So they are, there are benevolent and there are scientific and there's all kinds. So it's not just, just go out and look at anything and, and yeah, there's all kinds of beings and the one that can look really scary is actually very friendly. But it's still not not to go running over to visit these beings. You wait to their you're um, kind of called by them in a sense. They they will not. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want people to just go out and pay spaceships if they're flying around. Uh, I called with the words they gave me in um, in the ancient times. Uh, these are ancient words, but I I use those that they gave me They're on my website. And, and what's the what's the source of those words? Well, when I'm on the ship, where I was on the ship. Even before I came here, I knew some of the words. And when I would go out on those, let's say, soul travel, when I'm going out there, um, I see patterns or frequencies and different things you see, many different things. But um, the words that we use, especially Adonai Vasubaragas, is a very sacred thing. It's a blessings and light of your infinite radiant creator. That's a blessing, actually. So, so what language is that in? <laughs> space. I don't know. It's, uh, we would have to say ancient space. But Adonai is used here on Earth. Probably... Mm-hmm. A long time. That means, ago. I mean, that means Lord. Yeah, probably given a long time ago by whoever came to visit, and even my friends have said some of the people that came to visit were not them or any of those. They were more Earth type physical beings that wanted needed things from the Earth at the time, but they knew that they could be passed off as gods, and so they took on the role to utilize what they needed. So not everything was always uh, of the you know all for one. It was maybe they needed something here and they manipulated ancient people too so um, the crew that I my friends that we deal with they don't like that they don't, there's other beings out there that say they're not supposed to do that just be benevolent with them you can help them but they come to those who they um, they said all the space beings out there who are friendly godlike or let's say master teachers if they, if they have friends who came to form the life down here for now or if they projected an aspect of their own over self that came down to be a soul to have a life here to learn and help. Uh, there's people out there that are that way. And so their own self-beings, their own crews, or let's say friends that they remember from the other side from ancient times, will come to them in the spaceship to get a sign. That's how I went through it. I, I, it's only my own self and friends that come to work with me. I've seen other beings, but, um, and I've drawn them, but I took them off my website. I, I had other illustrations, I didn't want people to think that these beings that look odd or strange or uh, cat-like, insect-like or anything are are my ones I deal with. These are just beings I knew, I've met, even while I was in out-of-body travels, I've met them uh, on these other levels of space, who are also teachers, so they're nice beings. But when they start projecting those pictures onto other things that, that has to do with me, I said, oh, no. Because <laughs> I drew some pictures for James Carmen's movie, The Hidden Hand, so he can have other types of benevolent aliens. But these are actually beings I've met. But I didn't want them to be categorized as my family. They're not my, my friends. They're the ones I put on my site. Mark, uh, unfortunately, it is time for us to uh, wrap up. I want to thank you and uh, Tim Beckley as well for uh, being with us tonight. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, 
and if, uh, if our audience out there, if you want to find out more about Mark, you can go and uh, yeah, get a copy of uh, UFO Repeaters and see That's some right. of his uh, uh, fantastic uh, uh, photographs as well as others. So, uh, Mark, again, thank you very much. Really happy right. that you could be Mark, with us Mark, you, you have a website, right? Yes, intergalacticmission.com. And there you'll find intergalacticmission.com. And you'll okay, find cool. the different reasons we're being visited today is for ben- is really to help the souls to to not be afraid to um, raise their frequencies, have love, forgiveness for all that goes on around us, and it's basically the same story. If we want to think of Christ, he he spoke the same way. Buddha spoke the same way. That's basically they want to raise up people to understand and not be afraid, but also to love the Creator, our, our blessing, our Creator being. And uh, and um, have oneness with each other, and actually, to get away from these physical densities, uh, we have to transform our thoughts and raise up. So we're not coming back and forth to a physical density planet reincarnating. We can got, go to the other levels, deep in space, and other planet systems that are high frequency. Loving. All right. Well, Mark, we, we're we, we're we're out of time here. So thank you again, thank and you. Uh, we'll be we'll be sure to have you on. Uh, uh, on the Outer Edge again real soon. So for everyone out there listening, you've been listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Thank you very much to Tim Beckley, Mark Brinkerhoff, uh, my uh, co-host Mike Motz. So be sure to tune in again this time next week for more interesting stuff. So thanks a lot and good night.